0: Exodus 32 is where we're going to be. So we are continuing our study through the book of Exodus. Glad you guys can be here for this. Welcome if you're new. Uh, If you're new, we tend to teach through whole books of the Bible. Uh, We happen to be in Exodus right now. So we're looking at Exodus chapter 32 today. Exodus 32. I'm going to only start by reading the first part of the first verse, and then I'll pray, and we will get into it together. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And Father, we pray as we look at your word today, as we see a text that is so difficult to hear and to study, a, a part of your word, Lord, that both exposes us and challenges us to wrestle with who you really are. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that you would help us to see you as you are. God, we know that there's nothing you can give us that's better. Than yourself. And so, Lord, we pray that we would, by faith, push into this and wrestle with this and be willing, Lord, to confront the counterfeits that are in our own hearts. Please, Lord, we pray that you meet us here, and we pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's kids said. Sorry, I have a bit of a cough, and I'll try to turn off the mic when I need to cough. So, so where we are in the book of Exodus for the next three chapters we're in this place where, in a sense, we're, we're getting, Moses is helping us to see what was happening down in the valley while he was up on the mountain. While he was on the mountain with God and he was receiving God's word for God's people on that mountain, stuff was still happening down below. God's people were still wrestling with what's going on, what's happening. Now, <coughs> Moses had been really clear hearing from God and saying to Aaron, his brother, you stay here. I'm going upward. He said also, if you remember, to the 70 representatives of Israel at the same time, he said, okay, you guys stay here with the people. If there's any problem, you can go to Aaron or to her. I'm going up the mountain to receive God's word. And we've been studying from chapters 25 through chapter 31, seven chapters of really like a monologue of God just saying, this is what I want for my people. Specifically, this is the tabernacle that I want put together, the dwelling place, so I can be in the very presence of my people. God wanted his people to feel protected. God wanted his people to know that he'd be provided for. God wanted his people to know that he would be with them every step of the way into the promised land. And so during that time when God's given these instructions to Moses, so Moses can go down and give these instructions to the people, after Moses has already given at least the Ten Commandments to God's people, we saw that way earlier in chapter 20, after all this, we read what we just read right there in chapter 32. We read that while Moses is up there, and they're wondering how long this is going to take, that the Israelites go to Aaron and they say, you know what, we need you to make us a new God. This one ain't working out. And what we're talking about here, in fact, we know for sure this whole section is clearly about idolatry. That is, the worship of false gods. We know that because we have a New Testament commentary on this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, listen, it says, Now these things took place as an example that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. And he quotes verse 6, as we'll see in a minute. He says, The people sat down to eat ...and to drink and rose up to play. In the New Testament, Paul says, listen, even you who are Jesus followers... ...you need to follow the example of the Old Testament saints. In other words, don't be like them. They were pulled into idolatry. They made this mistake of making a false god that they could worship. And here's the thing about idolatry. It's not just what we do with our hands... It's just the false God we make with our hands. It's also the false God we make with our head. It's the kind of God that we imagine. And so we have the situation where we're seeing God's going to confront these counterfeit gods. He's going to say this is not acceptable. Now really, as I said, chapter 32, 33, 34 all go together. Because we see really what's happening is Israel's breaking the covenants that God's making with them. And God's going to restore that covenant. Is going to show that that covenant is really about him and his people in relationship. So we're going to see today three things that we need to understand about idolatry. And this is going to be tough. It's going to be tough because this is going to expose all of our hearts. It's going to be one of those. It's going to be one of those where you're not going to feel warm and fuzzy. You're probably going to just feel like, oh, great. I didn't realize it was this bad. It's going to be tough. Not because I'm going to yell at you and tell you how bad you are. Because I think as we look at the text, we're going to go, gosh, we're going to see ourselves in it. But it's also going to be tough. Listen, it's going to be tough because this is one of those parts of the Old Testament where you go, gosh, that seems God's being a bit harsh. Maybe even unjust. Maybe it'd be even a bit bloodthirsty. And we're going to have to wrestle with what this tells us about our God. So I, I'm really asking you to... to by faith, give concentration, pay attention, and have an open heart to what God might say to you through his word. So let's look at this first point. Idolatry seeks to change the unchangeable God. Verse 1 again, when the people saw that Moses came, delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron. The Hebrew, uh, which the Bible here is written in Hebrew, it, it seems to be the emphasis is more of they're gathering against Aaron. They're kind of threatening him. And they said to him, up, make us gods. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. This is interesting. As for Moses, who brought us out of Egypt? Who brought them out of Egypt? God, God did. They're already in this place where they're kind of going, we, because Moses was the man and the man's not around, mm, we need a new God. So Aaron says in verse 2, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me, so that all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, this is the people said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, literally to Yahweh. And they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and they offered peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink. Stop right there. Now, now what's going on here is Israel is is demanding a God or literally gods that they can manipulate and they can manage. They want a God that they can handle. They want a God that they can make do what they, they liked that the other god had said he would do. And it, what's interesting to me here is that what Aaron does is he shapes this gold that, that he takes from him, and this is kind of a, almost like a, a counterfeit itself, isn't it, of what God's commanded? Remember we talked about how God's going to say take an offering so you can build the tabernacle, you know, get gold and stuff. This is all the stuff that they would have gotten from the Egyptians. And so this is almost a counterfeit of that. And he, say, and he takes this and he makes this calf. Now what's interesting is in Egypt... One of the main gods they worship was in the shape of a bull. A bull being the, the, a symbol of uh, fertility and domination and power. And so they would worship this bull. So by making a calf, it could be that he made a small version of this. Maybe to kind of go, well, it's Egyptian, but it's kind of also mocking the Egyptians. Or maybe it's Moses calling it a calf to mock it. We don't know for sure. But this, this is definitely something about them kind of harking back to Egypt. Wanting the kind of false worship they had there. But also, if you notice, he makes this, this lesser Egyptian god, so to speak, and it's identified with Yahweh. They give this idol credit for bringing them out of Egypt, out of bondage. And, and, and even Aaron refers to it as Yahweh. We're going to have a feast to Yahweh. And the fact that they're going to want to have a feast day, and the fact that they're going to make burnt offerings and peace offerings, and even the fact that they're going to eat and drink, all these things are good activities. These are things that we saw back in chapter 24, didn't we? When God calls Moses and Joshua and the elders, and, and, and they all go up to the sort of mountain, and they eat and drink in God's presence. You remember that? They're all blown away that they could eat and drink and not die. So, so the, the activity itself is good. But listen, here's the problem. Right activity, wrong God. And just because they call this God Yahweh doesn't mean it's the right God. It's not on your screen. I should have have put it on there, but it's not. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it is. Maybe it's chapter 11, so forgive me. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul talks about, the apostle Paul talks about the kinds of idols that the Corinthians were tempted to. And he says to them, he says, look, I fear for you, lest in the same way the serpent deceived Eve, you'll be deceived. And he says to them, because I think if someone brings another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, you'll believe it. And this is what we do. This is our temptation as Jesus followers. We like this idea of redemption. This idea of being delivered from slavery into a promised land. We think this is good stuff. We want this. This this sounds but who wouldn't want this narrative for their life story? We think we want this. We just want it with a different Jesus, or maybe by a different spirit, or maybe explained as a little bit different gospel. This is what we do. This is our propensity. We seek, listen, to change the unchangeable God. But, but look at verse 6 again, how it ends, right? They, they're doing burnt offerings, peace offerings. They're sitting down to eat, uh, eat and drink, which, again, all that stuff's fine. But it says, and they rose up to play. Now, the connotation there for play is, is the idea that they rose up to have basically an orgy. Now, now I, I, forgive me if this offends anybody, but I want you to I make this as, as shocking as I can make it without being, but, but, but still being PG-13, okay? So imagine, okay, I, I, I'm on sabbatical. I'm in America for five or six weeks, as I just was. And, you know, uh, what happens is somehow, for some reason, I don't come back on the sixth week, and then the seventh week, and eighth week, and then Adam stands up and he goes, you know what, guys, John's not here, so, you know, we're going to do worship a little bit different today. So let's all get naked and have an orgy. Now, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be trite. I'm just trying to say it's that shocking. It's that ridiculous. It's that like, whoa, how could you go from, this to that. This is what happens, listen, when we try to change an unchangeable God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, listen, he says, do not be deceived, neither the, oh, I just lost it. There it goes. He says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor, th- nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The reason I read this is because we think of idolatry as only bowing down to a statue. And idolatry is when we choose to believe in another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. God says, this is so serious. And here's here's the reality is, when we do this, it leads to these other things. The reason these things are listed together is because this is what happens when we think of God wrong these other stuff and all of us are guilty now what happens in verse 7 this is happening down the mountain right moses doesn't see this but god makes brings it to his attention verse 7 and so the lord said to moses go down to your people whom you brought up out of the land of egypt ha, uh, they have corrupted themselves <coughs> they have turned aside quickly out of the way that i have commanded them they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it, saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is stiff, a stiff-necked people. You think God's a little angry here? He is. And you need to understand something here. When God is saying to Moses, your people, he's basically saying, look, I'm, I'm prepared to disown these people. They've broken the covenant that I'm wanting to make with them, that I've began to give to them. And so I'm willing to disown this people. But also when he says they're stiff-necked people, he's using a he's using an a, a, a agricultural metaphor. Because every farmer has that animal, that ox or that donkey, who just won't plow a straight line. It just will no matter how you pull on their neck, to get it back in line, it wants to go where it wants to go. And there's nothing more frustrating than that. And so God's saying, this is how my people are. Now we read this, and then we read in verse 10, and this is where it gets a bit heavy, and this is where you need to really pay attention. Listen, it says, Now therefore, God says to Moses, Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that <coughs> I may make a great nation of you. So God's saying to Moses, listen, <coughs> I'm going to start over. How's that, Moses? You get out of my way, and I'll start over with you, and I'm going to wipe these people out. Now, it's important at this point that we recognize that what, what's happened is Israel has provoked God's righteous anger. God would be justified in wiping them out for breaking his covenant. He would. That would be justice. But I also want you to notice what's hinted here. When God says to Moses, leave me alone, let me alone to do this, he's basically hinting Moses... As long as you're here, I won't do it. As long as you're here, I'm not going to do this. Now, what happens next? Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, "O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Now, this is not Moses trying to pass the buck. This is Moses saying, "God, you know this; they're yours. You've claimed them as your own." And I want you to to, to notice this, okay, because I want to kind of give you, I I don't know if I put these on the screen or not, I can't remember, but I want to kind of give you sort of four, these three arguments that God makes or that Moses makes to God. Because in verse 11, when he says this, Lord, they're they're your people, he's basically saying, God, you can't ignore your own story. Because the Bible is not the story of God's people, it's the story of God saving his people. He's saying, God, you can't ignore your own story. You're the one who delivered these people. You're the one who's bought them for yourself. Look at verse 12. He says, next argument. He says, why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, <coughs> did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turning from your burning anger and re- turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Now, now, what's he talking about there? Remember, God had said really clear. We've seen this all throughout Exodus that God's wanting to reveal Himself not just to His people, Israel but through Israel to Egypt and the surrounding nations. This is God's mission. His mission is to make himself known to the world that he's made, that he wants to redeem that world, and he wants to do it through his chosen people, Israel. I want to do this. And so Moses' argument is, God, you can't change your own mission. You're supposed to save the world through us. You're supposed to show the world how good you are by being good to us. By being merciful to us. Look at verse 13. He says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. God, you can't break your own promises. Now now here's what Moses is doing. You know what? I need to change that. Here's what God is doing. God is wanting Moses to know that he knows that he knows who God is. He's wanting him to know how good he actually is. In fact, what it says in verse 14 is is really, it's it's probably more mind-blowing than we realize. It says, and the Lord relented. Some versions say repented. Some versions say changed his mind. all means the same thing from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, here's the interesting thing. Listen to this. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, here's what Moses says. God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and he will, will, has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Is that a contradiction in the Bible? Where God changes his mind, but then Moses says, God changes his mind because of Moses, but Moses says God doesn't change his mind. Is that a contradiction? No. Here's what's happening, okay? Here's the thing you need to recognize, okay? Though Israel provokes God's righteous anger, God cannot, Israel cannot stop God's ultimate purpose. Israel cannot change God. Oh, they can make a false god to worship and reap the consequences of that, but they can't change God. Listen. I hope one thing is that you see yourself doing some of the things that Israel does. Because you do. That we love what God promises us. We love redemption. We love the idea of purpose in life. We have the idea of life after death. We love the idea of of unconditional love. We love all those ideas. Just don't like the other stuff that God says about holiness or righteousness or judgment as if those things could be separated. We like a loving Jesus, but not a crucified Jesus. We like a Jesus who comforts us, but not a Jesus who rules over us. We do the same thing. And I hope you're both convicted and comforted by this, because I hope you're convicted that you do the same thing and I do the same thing, and I hope you're comforted because guess what? Even when you do that, you still can't change God. He remains the same. All all idolatry does is change our faith. It corrupts our faith. So remember, this is all happening in these first uh, 14 verses. This is happening while Moses is still on the mountain. So what what happened happened down the mountain, and, and God sees it. And So Moses is saying, here's what God sees. And God explains it to Moses, what's happened, right? But Moses hasn't seen it. He just knows what God is saying, and he's saying, God, I hear what you're saying, but I know who you are. And they might be trying to change who you are, but you don't change. So God, please, act as you are. And God says, good, I will. See, here's the, here's the thing we have to get through our heads. If God would have judged them, he would have been right in acting as he is. But God, to show mercy, he is right in acting as he is. That's what the Bible teaches. It's terrifying to think about a God like that because we can't control him or manipulate him or change him. But also, guess what? It's radically comforting. comforting because we can't, concha- we can't change him or manipulate him. We can rest in him. So what happens when Moses sees the sinfulness of Israel for himself? <coughs> Look at verse 15. Then Moses turned and he went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written The tablets were the work of God, and the writings were the writings of God engraved on the tablets. The detail Moses is putting here is to make sure that we, the readers, know this is God's word that he's carrying. Keep that in mind. Verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, this is the noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, "It's not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of cry, or the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear." So, so Joshua, who probably wasn't in the presence of God, hearing what's happened here, but he's kind of below on the mountain, kind of waiting for Moses to get what he needs to get, and he's right there, kind of learning of Moses. When he comes down, what does Joshua hear? What's the warrior Joshua hear? Oh, it must be a fight going down. Moses knows better. <laughs> this is this is this is not. Uh, This is not warfare. This is sinful rebellion. So in verse 19 it says, And as soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, that's a way to say the orgy, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. This is not shock, like, oh my goodness. This is like, bam, this is the thumping on the pulpit kind of stuff. I can't do it because this pulpit's weak and it'll fall apart. This, this is serious like, what are you doing? This is righteous anger. Moses could be guilty of unrighteous anger. We've seen that before. We'll see it again. But this is righteous anger. This is Moses beginning to feel what God felt. Why would you do such a thing? He's basically dramatically demonstrated that they've broken the covenant. That's what he's doing. So verse 20, it says, and Moses took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and he ground it into powder and he scattered it on the water and he made the people of Israel drink it. There's a couple reasons he does this. One is if you ingest something, what do you do after it? You pass it. And nothing was defiled, nothing was, uh, could be, everything was defiled by human waste, okay? In a sense, he's saying, I'm just proving how defiled the idol is by crushing it and making you drink it. But there's something else here. It's as if Moses is saying, listen, you need to swallow the foolishness of worshiping a God you can make with your hands. You need to taste the bitterness of doing something so utterly foolish God, I want you to think about this, even just kind of logically. How stupid is it for us to say, God, for us to say to God, when God says, I'm like this, we say, no, God, you're not like this. You're like this. I mean, think about, think about where we are right now in history in the West. We're, we live in a time where we say, culturally, I'm not saying we as servant church, but culturally we say, you can say that you are whoever you say you are, and we have to believe it. But then God says, here's what I'm like. God, you're not like that. That's not you. You're like this. Is that idiotic? Is that the stupidest thing you ever heard in your life? And we do it all the time. God says, I love you with an everlasting love. And you say, do you though really? Because I, I, that's the fifth lottery ticket I bought this week, and I have won once. We're so stupid. Foolish is what we are. This is how Paul talks about this, because this isn't just what Israel does, it's what all humanity does. Listen, in Romans chapter one, Paul writes, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. Oh, we know what God's like. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal, unchangeable God, you might say, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepings what we do you see idolatry doesn't just seek to change the unchangeable god but idolatry needs this kind of radical confrontation you cannot mess around with wrong ideas about god it's not cool no matter how good the worship looks it's not cool to worship another jesus or another spirit or preach another gospel or to believe in another gospel. It's not cool. God says, no way. See, the question we, we want to know is: Gosh, well, does is Israel recognize what they're doing here? Do, do they, have they, are they actually willing to swallow the fact that they are rejecting God's authority? This is God's word. The creator of the universe has spoken specifically and directly to them. Here it is: God's spoken. You can know. We're going to start a series in, in, in March on, uh, uh, for every fourth Sunday called The God Who Speaks. Talking about why, what we know about this book and why we believe it's God's word. Why we can say with confidence, God has spoken. God has spoken and you've rejected it. Do you see that? Do you recognize that? But also listen. It's not just Israel as a group. It's what about Aaron as their leader? He had a responsibility. He blew it. Look what we see in verse twenty-one. Is Aaron going to take responsibility? Let's look at verse twenty-one and see. And Moses said to Aaron, "What did this people do to you that you should you have brought such a great sin upon you?" It's like Aaron, did they torture you or something? What were you thinking? And Aaron Aaron says to Moses, "Let not the anger of my lord burn hot. You know the people." Are set on evil here's his first excuse boys will be boys people will be people you know how they're like come on Moses isn't having it in fact Aaron gets worse here's the second excuse look, look what he says in verse 23 for Aaron says for they said to me make us gods who shall be uh, who shall go before us as for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him, kind of blaming Moses a little bit there. But then he says, so I said to them, let uh, any who have gold take it off. So they gave uh, it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and boop, out came a calf. It just happened. I don't know, it just happened just there. It's so stupid. I, I mean, it, it is funny because It's ridiculous. This is what our toddlers do, right? <laughs> my daughter Brooke was the best at this. She would sneak into a cookie jar, mac down as many cookies she can, have chuckle over her face, and say, and we'd say, honey, did you get in the cookies? No. <laughs> Sweetheart, there's chuckle over your face. Uh-uh, I didn't eat the cookies. It just happened. The chocolate just, poof, on my face. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but think about it, Listen. Here's what's happening. This is is where it gets a bit serious. (laughs) It's very serious. What's happening here is when he says, it's almost like he's saying, the fire made it happen. And you almost want to say there was something happening supernatural that's not our fault. Maybe this is Aaron's way of saying, the devil made me hey, you know what, when our flesh is involved, the enemy's involved. There's no doubt there's a parallel between what Israel's going through now and what Adam and Eve were tempted with back in the garden. This is in a sense, like we had in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of of Adam, the fall of man. We have now in in chapter 31, the fall of Israel. There's a parallel there. And so when our flesh is involved, the enemy's involved. But you know what, the truth is, we are accountable for what we do, the choices we make. take responsibility for his failure? Are we? In verse 25, here's what we see next. This is where it gets even heavier. And this is the part where I think uh, we, we struggle in our modern Western mindset to 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 deal with this. And I'm talking about me. I struggle with this as well. Listen to what happens. It says, when Moses saw the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Now, I want you to, before we move on, please see this, okay? This is, in a very real sense, uh, Moses saying to all of Israel, here's your chance to repent. Who's on God's side here? It's not a get out of jail free card. It's a chance to repent. It's a chance to say, we are, we messed up. And it says in verse 27, And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Once well, to say, all the, all the sons of Levi's gathered to him. Verse 26. And then, he, then he said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go and to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. Each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day 3,000 men of the people fell. Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his sons and his brother so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. That's heavy. The temptation is to explain this away. There are even some modern liberal commentators who would say, this wasn't God, this was Moses. He's just saying it was God. The text doesn't really bear that out. Others would say, well, this is just hyperbole. It's exaggeration for effect. This actually probably didn't happen. The text doesn't really bear that out. We have to wrestle with the reality here. That the same God who's willing to forgive is also God who says, it's time for judgment to fall. If there won't be repentance, there's going to be judgment. I think the context does bear out really clearly listen, this is not random killing. We might get this idea of these Levites friends are, ah! you know, crying out, God is great, God is great, or something, and just hacking people to pieces. That's not what's happening. This is these Levites who've, had re- have, who've realized, man, we, we blew it as a nation here. We really defiled our God, and going around to anybody, no matter how much they loved them or cared for them, and said, listen, are you going to repent of this? We didn't do anything wrong. And let me be really clear here. There's no New Testament command to ever do this. Ever. Ever. In fact, this is the tenor that we see in the New Testament for believers. It, you might be able to say here, it might be God saying, okay, you don't believe me, you're going to die. You refuse to believe me, you're going to die. But here's what God calls us to do in following Jesus, okay? He says, you don't believe me, then kill me. Go ahead, kill me. And we're going to see this in Moses in a second. But here's the reality. Listen. What God's doing here, listen, is he is saying, I will judge idolatry. Do not be deceived, as Paul just says in 1 Corinthians. I will judge idolatry. You can't worship a false god and say it's the true god. You can't do it. And and I just want to say to you, listen, if you're in a place where you've come from a different religious background where you've been taught about a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, or maybe even a different God. Listen, I'm not trying to diss you. I'm trying to say, if you are the kind of person that wants to say, can't we just all get along and have our own religious faith? We can legally, because the gospel says we should be the kind of people that are gracious to each other, and a Christian nation does that. That's where our laws of tolerance come from, but you can't do it spiritually. I would be wrong. I would be like Aaron if I say to you, yeah, it's cool. Worship whatever God you want. Just be sincere. No, you worship Jesus or you worship falsely. And I'm not trying to be harsh. It's just a reality. Now, some of you at this point are thinking, yeah, but you're still being harsh. Jesus was nicer than this. Well, listen to what Jesus says. In Luke chapter 14, this is the call to discipleship. He says, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Who does, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me after me cannot be my disciple." Listen. This is not Jesus calling his disciples to be mean to their families. It's Jesus calling us in a new gospel-motivated way to do what God was trying to get Israel to do. Israel, will you choose loyalty to God over loyalty to family or to friends or to culture? Is Jesus more important to you than your reputation with your non-Christian friends? Are their souls more important to you than your comfort? Again, this is not, the application is not stab people with the sword. Not a real sword, the sword of the spirit. Whack people with the Bible. That's the application. It's not the application. The application is that we would stand before God and say, God, you are worthy to be worshipped exclusively. And I want to confront any kind of idolatry that's creeping up in my heart. Now, we get to this last bit. It's going to feel harsher, but it actually ends better. Because we need to see idolatry brings certain judgment. But this is going to be good news. Follow me. Verse 30. The next day, Moses said to his people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. This is interesting. So so what you have have going on here in, in chapter 32 is you have when Israel gets impatient waiting for Moses to come down with what they were supposed to be God's directions, they did not even know for sure, when they get impatient, at least some of them, at least 3,000 of them, decide, you know what? We want a new God. And they strong-arm Aaron to make them a false god. And Aaron compromises greatly. And when God gives them a chance to repent, some of them repent, but a lot of them don't. And so some of those who who are stubborn actually have to die. And even after all that, all this kind of confrontation and even some some parts of repentance and even some parts of judgment, Moses is saying, look, this is serious stuff. If there's not atonement made, you're in trouble. Do do, do you see this is what's happening here? That Moses is saying, listen, you need to see that that only a self-sacrificing mediator can intervene. Because here's the reality. Confronting idolatry is not enough. It needs to be atoned for. If you can see, if you're sensing today that you've worshiped a false Jesus, a false spirit, a false gospel, if this is becoming clear to you, like, yeah, man, I tend to do this. I tend to kind of don't believe what God says about himself. If this is your habit and you're going, I need to repent, how are you going to atone for it? Look what happens in verse 31. And so Moses returns to the Lord and he says, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. He's not pulling punches with God. He's not trying to tell God it's not that bad. He says, they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot out from your book, blot me out from your book that you have written. Do you see what Moses is saying? Moses is saying, listen, I will die with them if they have to die for this. If they're going to suffer for a rebellion against you, and they should, then wipe me out too. I'll suffer too. This is Moses saying, I am willing to suffer with these people. And it may even be Moses saying, I'm willing to suffer for these people. Now, now listen, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had a similar a similar kind of attitude towards his, his brethren, the Israelites. Listen, he says in verse, uh, chapter, Romans chapter 9, verse 3, he says, For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So Paul has that same heart of of Moses. I'm willing to to suffer for them and die for them. Uh, You know, I just, I, I so long for them to be, know you personally. And Moses is mediating this way. But here's the deal. What Moses wanted to do but couldn't do, what Paul wanted to do but couldn't do, was actually make atonement for God's people. But what they couldn't do, Jesus did. Do you realize, listen, that your... Falling into temptation to believe that Jesus is different than he's revealed himself to be is something that Jesus actually died for. He actually died for. You know what your first and and, and biggest sin is? It's the same first and biggest sin that mine is. Unbelief. You don't believe that God is who he said he is through Jesus. You know why Christ died? To atone for that unbelief. So you can have reason to believe. Listen, this is how Paul says it in Romans chapter three. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We receive what Jesus did by faith. God did not God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. He hates He hates idolatry. He's righteous that way. but because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before and unpunished, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. Listen. So as to be just, that is, he's a just God who judges idolatry and every other kind of sin, and the one who justifies, renders innocent. Those who have faith in Jesus. I don't know. Really? Could could God, would God say I'm innocent when he knows I'm guilty? Yes, he would do that because Jesus died to make it So you can't just go, oh yeah, sorry God, I, I should trust you more, I should be better. You gotta deal with, you gotta confront that false idea about God harshly and take it back to the cross and say, God forgive me, Christ died for this, I need to be cleansed afresh. I wanna worship you as you are. Do you know why you struggle to worship with passion? Do you know why you struggle To pray with consistency. Do you know why you struggle to serve with joy? The same reason I do. Because we don't believe God is as good as He's shown Himself to be. That's idolatry. God says in verse 34 or 33. But the Lord says to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out from my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. And behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord set a plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Now we'll, we'll see more about this in chapters going on. But really, here's, here's what God's doing. God's God's making it clear, and we're going to see more about this, especially in chapter 34, verse 7. Okay, When God says explicitly, this is what I'm like. God does not let anybody get away with anything. This is also good news. It's scary for us, because we know that means we don't get away with anything. But it's also good news for us. That means all the sin that's been done against us, no one gets away with it. The abuse that you've endured at the hand of the other, God's going to deal with it. The injustice that you've Experience at the hand of others, God's going to deal with it. No one gets away with anything. That's the point he's making. This is not greasy grace. This is not cheap grace. This is not God saying, yay, Jesus died for it. All you got to do is believe that and everything else gets swapped away, washed away. This is God saying, listen, who I am is the God who loved you, who died for your sins against me, and who frees you from them. Will you trust me? The, the plague is about God saying, I'm not going to help you get away with sin, but I will do what is necessary to get you away from sin. This is part of God's chastening. Jesus says this, and I'll close with this. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So or but, if the Son sets you free, you will be. I know it feels like you can't help but have all these wrong ideas of God coming into your head. And in one sense, you can't. In one sense, those wrong ideas, they actually are demonic. That's how the enemy works. The enemy works mainly by throwing lies at you. Now, we're stupid, and we watch all kinds of junk that we shouldn't watch and listen to all kinds of junk we shouldn't listen to that tells us lies about God, and we think, oh, I know that's a lie. But you watch enough of that, it's gonna pull you down. But the reality is this. Jesus came to set us free. He gave his spirit to us that he might make us holy. He's given us a gospel. There's a non-negotiable gospel that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And if we believe that gospel, we're his. Confront the idolatry. Repent and worship the truth. here by your Holy Spirit. God, grant us repentance so that times of refreshing may come by your Holy Spirit. We're so sorry, Father, that we don't believe that you're as good as you've shown yourself to be in Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that you would mercifully you would mercifully give us these lessons in your word so that we don't have to experience these things firsthand. We don't want to be cut up or have a plague or cursed. And we're so so, so thankful, Lord, that you placed our curse on Jesus, that he bore our sin, that we could be free and forgiven. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who has been worshiping a false God, whether they profess to know you or not, that, Lord, you would grant them repentance, that they may worship you and you alone, that they may may know the joy of belonging to you, of knowing you in truth. Father, we pray you do this by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just... Want to take a minute and give you guys a chance to to respond? Let's just be silent. And, and, and for you guys who who do know the Lord, you know the Lord, and you know when you've not worshipped Him as you should, when you've believed that He's something that He's not, and the Lord's probably already convicted you of that. So just confess it, confess it, receive forgiveness, receive cleansing, start fresh. We, that's that's what we get in Jesus. Don't believe that Jesus did less for you than he did. And for you that that aren't from a Christian background, that may be thinking this is heavy and hard to deal with, just I want to challenge you to think about what other God do you have? If you won't believe in the Jesus of the Bible, if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, what God will you believe in? Because if it's a God of your own understanding or your own making, it's not a real God. The real God made you, redeemed you, loves you, wants you to be in his family forever. So, yeah, Father, bless us today and bless us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's kids said, Amen. Amen.